remember a few years ago when Time Magazine had a cover that said, Butter is back. Is butter back? Really? Butter is back? Butter is back when you compare it to Crisco. Butter is back if you compare it to trans fats. Because the least healthy fat that exists are trans fats. And it's like raw sewage. There is nothing redeeming about trans fats. There's very little that's redeeming about saturated fats. Science suggests that saturated fats cause damage to the gut microbiome, disrupt the microbiome into a pattern that we describe as dysbiosis. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us. This is episode 39 of season 4, number 234 overall. And today we are starting with a focus on fat and what fat does to your gut. And no, we're not talking about a little bit of flab here. We are talking about doing a deeper dive on the inside, taking a closer look at gut health overall. Specifically, how can a high-fat diet, one that's loaded with meat, what effect does that have on your microbiome? And helping us nerd out nutrition style today is the incomparable Dr. Will Bolsowitz. He is the best-selling author of the book Fiber Fueled. He is here today for his monthly appearance in the exam room, and we will be opening up the doctor's mailbag to answer your questions. Also, great questions in the mailbag today, whether any fat can be beneficial to the gut. And how does the body process and digest trans fats and saturated fats differently than unsaturated fats? We're going to find all that out as we open up the doctor's mailbag and then stick around because I have details on new research showing how mushrooms might just save your life. You heard that right. Mushrooms might just save your life, especially when you use these mushrooms to replace meat in the diet. It sounds funny to say here, but really, fungus for the win. We've got details on that coming up. But first, let's go ahead and open up the doctor's mailbag to answer your questions. This is Dr. Will Bolsowitz from The Exam Room Live. Let's go ahead and open up that doctor's mailbag and welcome Mr. Fiber Fueled himself, Dr. Will Bolsowitz, back to the show. Thank you, Chuck. I'm doing I'm doing fantastic. I'm having a great day. Today is actually a special day. I haven't told you this. I don't know if you realize. Today is the birthday of my book. Hey, happy birthday, Fiber Fueled. A year ago, I was scrambling to figure out how to launch this book in the middle of a pandemic. And my fiber family... My friends who enjoy the power of plants pulled me through, lifted me up, and they carried me to the finish line. And I'm very proud of what's happened this past year. I've sold more than 130,000 copies of the book. Um, it made four bestseller lists. But above all else, the, what really is gets me really uh, fired up is that the messages that I get from people that say that the book has changed the way they think about food. And I particularly love the ones where people talk about how they're reducing their animal product consumption and increasing their plant consumption. That makes me just kind of do one of these. Like I might be like in my kitchen with my wife and that's what I'm doing. He's <laughs> like, oh, you got another one of those? And I was like, yeah, I did. Oh, so, man. 
That's awesome, man. That is congratulations. I mean, it's such a good book. Everyone that I talk to, so many people, honestly, I'll be interviewing them. They say, Yeah, I saw Dr. Bolsowitz on the exam room. You know, love him. You know, I've I've read Fiber Fueled. It's on my bookshelf. We have a couple of people actually pull it out as soon as we were done with the interview. Like, see, I got it right here. You know, like they're jazzed up about this book. So you really are changing lives, man. So congratulations on pushing through and getting that thing together. Happy first birthday, Fiber Fueled. Thank you. Thank you. And now I'm ready to roll into some questions and have some fun with these listeners. Yeah, let's celebrate whole food plant-based style, my friend. Let's go ahead and open up that doctor's mailbag. And our first question comes to us from a viewer on Instagram. They write, how does eating a high fat and a high meat diet like keto affect gut health? Well, you know, we could speculate uh, about what the effect of keto or a high fat, high animal products diet would be on gut health. Or alternatively, we could just look at the research and what it shows us. And we have a study done back in 2014. Many people who have heard me speak before have probably heard me talk about this study, but I'm going to pull it out right now because I think this is a study that really illustrates the power of our dietary dietary choices when it comes to gut health. The study you will find if you go to Google and you type in the word nature, David, as in like the name David, 2014. And that study will pop up. And so this is a uh, publication from Lawrence David, who's at Duke University, Peter Turnbaugh, who's at the University of California, San Francisco. And they took a group of people. And this was back in the day, 2014, where we still really weren't sure, like, can you change your microbiome by changing your diet? I mean, we all accept that now. But back then, we weren't really sure, can a human change their microbiome? So in order to test that question, They said, let's give people the polar extreme diets. So it was five days of a completely whole food plant-based diet, fruits, vegetables, whole grain, seeds, nuts, legumes, and zero animal products. Or the alternative choice was five days of 100% animal products. So meat, dairy, eggs, zero plants. And they said, let's see what happens to the microbiome on these two diets. So everyone did both. Everyone did five days of plants and five days of animals. And they checked their microbiome every single day. Here's what they found. Number one, quite fascinating. You can change your microbiome in 24 hours. That's what they saw. In literally 24 hours of a dietary change, there was already a shift underway within your microbiome. It shows how responsive our gut is. It's very adaptable. Uh, Number two. When you eat a whole food plant-based diet, you attract the growth of microbes that love fiber, that love plants, and that want to reward you with short-chain fatty acids. Short-chain fatty acids are the most anti-inflammatory compound I've ever come across. We get them from the consumption of dietary fiber, but the fiber does not give it to them by give it to us by themselves. The fiber needs to be converted by our gut microbes. So when you eat whole food plant-based, you get more fiber and you get more microbes and put them together and you have a recipe for short-chain fatty acids, which heal the body. I mean, I could go from top to bottom and talk to you about the effects. They're powerful. Now, I hope that everyone is sitting down and ready for the nightmare that I'm about to share, which is five days of the completely animal product-based diet. Because what they saw in literally just five days is they saw increased growth of Biophila wadsworthia, which is an inflammatory bacteria associated with inflammatory bowel disease. 
They saw increased growth of allostypes putridenis, which is a, a, a bacteria that has been associated with the development of colorectal cancer. And they saw increased growth of bacterioides, which is another inflammatory bacteria, again, associated with inflammatory bowel disease and colorectal cancer. They also saw an increase in what are called secondary bile salts. Secondary bile salts are carcinogens. They're associated with increased risk of colorectal cancer, among several other types of cancers. And they saw a reduction in the short chain fatty acids. In other words, what you're doing is you're taking the pendulum or you're taking that scale and you're putting all the weights on the the inflammation side and you're taking away the weight on the anti-inflammatory side because as you can imagine, the dietary fiber content on the animal product diet was zero. There's no fiber in animal products. So point being, we have a choice. We can choose whether we want to consume a completely whole food plant-based diet or something that is close to a whole food plant-based diet, mostly plants, and get the benefits of anti-inflammatory microbes. Or alternatively, we can move towards an animal product-based diet. And by the way, Chuck, for in the interest of this question, I want to add, this was a ketogenic diet. This was a high-fat diet, 70%, 70% fat in this diet, very low in carbs. The only carbs that you get on a completely animal product diet is from the dairy. Lactose is a carb. So alternatively, we can choose this high fat, high animal product based diet, which can be ketogenic, can be carnivore. And what we end up with is we, in less than five days, are developing a gut microbiome that is pointing us towards inflammation, pointing us towards increased risk of inflammatory bowel disease or colorectal cancer. And it's not that every single one of us will get those things but we are altering our disease risk through our dietary choices. My man, sometimes you, I will ask you a question and then I can just sit back and wait for the education to happen, man. You just took us to school. That is a great way to start off the show. I wish I could shorten it down to like nothing, but the issue is I really want to explain that study to people because it is such a fantastic study and it was not done by someone who has a dietary motivation. They are not trying to tell you what to eat. These are scientists from Duke and the University of California, San Francisco, who are trying to demonstrate the way that our biology works. And this is the way that our biology works. Ah, man, that is uh, such great information right off of the bat. Let's stick with the fat theme. We have somebody else who wrote in wondering how the gut reacts differently, processes uh, trans fats and unsaturated fats differently. Um, Is there a difference between the way that the body breaks those down? Yeah, there is. So the reality of nutrition, I think this is one of the most important points that I want to make sure that everyone that's hanging out with us today gets to hear. Nutrition is all about substitutions. You can always pick better. You can always pick worse. None of us are perfect. That's why I always say progress over perfection. The reason why I'm telling you this is because many of you probably remember a few years ago when Time Magazine had a cover that said, butter is back. (laughs) Is butter back? Really? Butter is back? Okay. Butter is back when you compare it to Crisco. Butter is back if you compare it to trans fats. Because on the scale of health, at the absolute bottom, the least healthy fat that exists are trans fats. Trans fats are the least healthy fat. And it's like raw sewage. There is nothing redeeming about about trans fats. There's very little that's redeeming about saturated fats. 
I mean, I'm not here to tell you that saturated fats are good and that you need more saturated fat in your diet. The gut microbiome science suggests that saturated fats cause damage to the gut microbiome, disrupt the microbiome into a pattern that we describe as dysbiosis. Chuck, this is a big reason why the study that we were just talking about, where people ate a completely animal product-based diet, this is part of the reason why they had an inflammatory microbiome because they're eating so many saturated fats. So the point from my perspective is this, butter is back if you're comparing it to trans fats. Any fat looks healthy when you compare it to trans fats. But if you were to compare saturated fat to any other fat other than trans fats, you would find that it falls at the bottom, that it is unhealthy. And this is why just being fair, by the way, just being fair, this is why I also try to limit the amount of consumption of coconut oil and palm oil which those are in a lot of processed foods and even vegan. They're in vegan processed foods. Oh, they're a staple in vegan butters even. But let's let's put a bow on this one. We have somebody else wondering if there's any form of fat that is actually beneficial to gut health, those quote unquote healthier fats. Yeah, there, there are healthier fats and the healthier fats come in a form that is a whole food plant-based form because the beauty is that not only can you get healthy fats, but you can get healthy fats prepackaged with fiber and beneficial phytochemicals, which are the chemicals that are anti-inflammatory and have health-promoting effects throughout our body. So what I'm talking about is I'm talking about eating an avocado, I'm talking about eating nuts, omegas, o- omega-3 fats that you'll find in chia seeds and flax seeds and hemp seeds. These are the healthy fats. And when people eat these foods... When people eat these foods, chia, flax, hemp, walnuts, avocados, we see benefits to their gut health. It's not just the fat. The fat's not there in isolation. There's fat, there's fiber, there's phytochemicals. You get the whole package and that whole package is beneficial to your health. Let's head over to the UK and tee up a question from Andy Golfsit. wrote in at 113, says, love your book, Dr. B. They have a question about... Uh, Irregular intermittent fasting, is that harmful to the gut? Intermittent fasting? Intermittent fasting in general? Intermittent fasting. We'll go with intermittent fasting in general, yes. Okay, okay. So let me just clarify real quick for Andy. By the way, Andy, thank you. It's uh, 6 o'clock in the evening over where you live. Thanks for hanging out with us. So when people use the expression intermittent fasting, I first feel compelled to unpack and clarify what we're talking about. Because intermittent fasting has turned into an umbrella term when it probably really shouldn't. Intermittent fasting to me really means that most days you eat ad lib without any restrictions, without any particular pattern. And then all of a sudden one day you fast of some variety. So that may be like a five and two where five days a week you're eating ad lib and two days a week you actually fast for 24 hours, right? That to me is intermittent fasting. I do see a lot of people, this is not Andy, but just in general, a lot of people who will apply the term intermittent fasting when really what they mean is time-restricted eating. Now, time-restricted eating is where you basically say there is a window of time during your day where you are going to eat, and then when you're outside of that window of time, you're fasting. And I do believe, Chuck, that the, that this approach, which, by the way, is a lifestyle, this is not intermittent. This is something that you do on a consistent basis. This approach 
when properly applied, is beneficial to our gut. And the reason why is because our gut microbes are living creatures, just like us. There is no living creature that does well if you force it to exercise or, or work around the clock. We all need a break, including our gut microbes. And so it's nice for us to allow them to rest for a period of time because then they come back stronger after they've been given an opportunity to rest. So what am I talking about here? When I talk about rest, in other words, only water or in some cases, tea or black coffee. When, when we're resting our gut, I'm referring to anywhere from 12 to 16 hours. All right. Now that may sound like a lot, but if we have dinner before 7 p.m. and then we don't have a late night snack, we can wake up and we can have our next meal at 7 a.m. And that's a 12-hour fast. And you've done some good for your gut microbiome. And if we extend that further, then we start moving 12, 14, 16 hours of fasting. Many people will do what they describe as a 16 and 8, 16 hours of fasting, 8-hour window of consuming the food. All right. And this is done for the purpose of optimizing our gut microbiome, optimizing our metabolism. And Chuck, I do believe that there are some benefits to doing this. Um, the one thing that I want to say is timing is important too. It's not just the number of hours. If you eat a meal at 11 o'clock at night, it is going to have a different effect on your metabolism. Believe it or not, the exact same food will have a different effect on your metabolism than if you were to eat that exact same meal in the morning. So the point being that we want to sort of make sure that we're eating our meals before the sun goes down. That's an important part of the story. Let's do a follow-up to the fat questions that we had earlier. Meg is wondering, she wrote in at 121, uh, you mentioned coconut oil and palm oil. Meg is wondering, what about extra virgin olive oil? Is that unhealthy in your estimation? So this is a great question. And, you know, Chuck, uh, this is like the, the question that seems to rile up the plant-based community more than any other one. And I think that we just need to be very honest and unpack this a little bit. Do you need extra virgin olive oil to be healthy? No, there is no evidence that you do. Can you be healthy and consume extra virgin olive oil? Yes, there's plenty of evidence that you can be healthy and can consume extra virgin olive oil. We have plenty of Mediterranean diet studies where people consume extra virgin olive oil and they are healthy. But let me describe and drill down a little bit further into extra virgin olive oil just for the purposes of having an honest conversation about it. So what is the fiber content of extra virgin olive oil or frankly, any oil for that matter? It doesn't matter what oil. What is the fiber content? Zero. There is no fiber. What is the caloric content of extra virgin olive oil or frankly, any oil? for that matter. What is the caloric content? Well, let's, let me frame this. If you were to take a pound of greens, an entire pound of kale or spinach, collards, that's about a hundred calories, a pound, hundred calories. If you take a pound of oil, it is 4,000 calories. You're talking about ounce for ounce, gram for gram, 40 times the number of calories in oil compared to greens. That is a lot of calories and it's very easy because the fiber content is zero to start just ladling it onto your food. Now, full disclosure, I do consume extra virgin olive oil. Do I consume it every day? No. 
Do I consume it more than twice a week? Probably not. Maybe once, maybe twice. That's about it. So I think at the end of the day, it's a personal choice. You can be oil-free and that works perfectly fine. You can include some oil, but I would not encourage you to go wild with the oil and think that this is the backbone of human health. It is not. But can you consume some oil in moderation and be healthy? 100%. You can. And of all the oils that exist, extra virgin olive oil is the one that I would reach for. All right. Uh, Let's switch gears here. Naveen checking in from India. And Naveen has a smelly situation on their hand, Dr. B. Uh, Kind of a two-parter. One, they're wondering if certain fruits can make a person feel gassy. And two, they've been told not to eat cruciferous vegetables at night, specifically because they create a lot of gas. They're wondering if there's any truth to that idea as well. So gas, fruits, vegetables, what do you know? Uh, all right. First of all, Naveen, there's a lot, there's a lot there, Chuck. I love talking about gas. I probably should not, but this is what I do for a living. Um, first of all, I just want to say to Naveen and to everyone else who's listening here that I am, um, my heart goes out to the people of India and everything that is happening over there right now. And actually I'm running a fundraiser on my social media platform right now. If you go to Instagram, the gut health MD, you will find that, um, you can donate. The donation does not run through me at all. It goes directly to Give India, which is the largest charity to raise money for India. They need oxygen. They need supplies. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. So I'm actually running running a fundraiser as a part of celebrating the one-year anniversary of my book. All right. When it comes to gas, first of all, the question is, why are we having gas? And so before jumping into specific foods, you have to make sure that you understand what is the driving factor here. Chuck, the number one cause of gas and bloating that I see in my clinic is constipation. You can poop every day and be constipated. If you are not completely emptying, you are backing up. You can actually have diarrhea, and that diarrhea could be could be caused by severe constipation, which we call overflow because the solid stuff backs up, and then the liquid sneaks through the cracks and the crevices, comes down to the bottom, and comes out as diarrhea. So there are a lot of people that I see in my clinic who don't believe that they are constipated and they actually are constipated. And so you need to look for the signs and symptoms, nausea. uh, So gas and bloating is the number one symptom, but you can also have nausea. You can have abdominal pain. Um, A lot of times people have fatigue. They lose their appetite, Um, food sensitivities, food intolerances. So Naveen is talking about some food intolerances. If you are constipated and you fix the constipation, the food intolerance will go away. If you are not constipated and there is no other medical reason for this issue, then with the fruit, more than likely, you are you are responding to the fructose. And if you consume a small amount of fructose on a consistent basis, your gut microbiome will adapt to it and become more capable of processing and digesting the fructose that's in the fruit. With the cruciferous vegetables, um, people who consume cruciferous vegetables on a regular basis They don't struggle with gas necessarily, but we do know that they can, for some people, cause a lot of gas and bloating. That's on a personal basis. And again, what this is, is this is about there is a threshold that exists and you want to ease your body into it because as you ease into it, I always say go low and go slow. When you ease your body into it low and slow, your body will adapt. It will adjust. It will become more efficient. It will become more capable. And what you will find is that actually you will produce less gas, 
eating even more of that type of food once it's given the chance to do that. Let's talk uh, more about fiber here. This is your favorite topic, my friend. We're going to go to a question from Planning for Purpose at 123. They want to know, can you tell by how often you use the bathroom whether or not you're eating enough fiber or is fiber something that you should be tracking independently? So I don't personally track fiber, even for myself. Um, That may surprise some people. And some people, if you were to read Amazon reviews, they were upset that I didn't say, hey, eat X number of grams of fiber per day. Well, that's because I think that for most of us, if we go low and slow and introduce our fiber, more becomes better. If we look at our ancestors, our ancestors were consuming 100 and in many cases, 150 grams of fiber per day. 150 grams of fiber per day is 10 times what the average American is consuming right now. So I don't track grams of fiber. I track the diversity of plants in my diet. So I don't count grams. I count plants. How many different plants are there in my diet? And if you are eating a whole food plant-based diet or you are eating a predominantly plant-based diet and you are emphasizing the diversity and the varieties of plants in your diet, you are going to be getting fiber in your diet and you're going to be getting plenty of it and your gut microbes will thank you for it. We have a few people wondering about antibiotics. That always seems to be a popular topic here. Uh, This person wondering how a course of antibiotics will affect the gut microbiome. And do you have any recommendations for restoring the microbiome after they're completed with the antibiotics? So here's the deal with antibiotics. It's actually quite remarkable how much antibiotics can change our gut microbiome in a very short period of time. And so this is not to say that antibiotics are bad. In fact, I would make the argument that of all the scientific inventions of the last 100 years, this is the, this is the invention that has added the most years to our life expectancy are antibiotics. So how could it be that and be so bad? Well, it's bad when they're being overused. It's bad when they're being inappropriately used. Do you really need the antibiotic? That's always the question. What happens if you don't take the antibiotic? Because when we take the antibiotics, what we know from our studies, I'll give you a quick example, Chuck. Uh, they looked at Cipro, ciprofloxacin, which is commonly used for urinary tract infections or gut infections. Diverticulitis would be an example. So five days of ciprofloxacin wipes out about 35% of the gut microbes. Not just bad guys, 35% period. Basically, it's like dropping napalm into the gut. You're just wiping them out. You're wiping them out, and then the gut is going to have to clean up the mess and recover. And so how do we do that? How do we optimize the cleaning up process? The way that we do that is to basically double down on gut-healthy diet and lifestyle choices. So we want not even like after the antibiotics are done, But when you know that you need to go on antibiotics, when possible, when appropriate in conversation with your doctor, consuming fiber from a wide diversity of plants helps to feed and support the healthy bacteria that live inside of you while they're going through this period of time where they're on the antibiotic and then they're recovering from the antibiotic. You can enhance the recovery through your dietary choices. We have studies that show that people that eat a plant-based diet have less harm done to their gut microbiome when they're on the antibiotic. 
So that's number one. But beyond that, we want to make sure that we're getting some sleep. We want to exercise. We uh, want to spend time outdoors. And the last thing is very important. Let's not be sabotaging our gut during this period of time. What do I mean by that? I mean, we should not be consuming high levels of saturated fat, refined ultra-processed foods, sweeteners, sugar, artificial sweeteners. And in addition, we shouldn't be drinking a lot of alcohol because that damages the gut too. So support the gut microbes, eat fiber, avoid the stuff that harms them, and allow your body to naturally recover. I have a follow-up to that from Linda. She's wondering which plant foods are best for pre and probiotics. Is there a specific list? All of them. (laughs) So in all seriousness, in all seriousness, so if you were to go back 10 years ago and you'll still see these lists on the internet because the the reality is that not all that we find on the internet is accurate information. If you were to go back 10 years ago, they started studying a form of fiber called inulin. And they realized, they're like, oh my gosh, Look at what inulin does. This is fascinating. It feeds the gut microbes. We get more healthy bacteria, bifidobacteria, when you consume inulin. So then they go, oh, well, what has inulin? Drusel artichokes, garlic, leeks, asparagus, okay? So then you go to the internet and you see these lists that have these particular foods. And they're like, this has prebiotics. All plants have prebiotics. All plants have prebiotics. In fact, many of them have different forms of prebiotics. Fiber, particularly soluble fiber, is prebiotic. All plants have that. Polyphenols are prebiotic. Plants have polyphenols. Plants have a monopoly on the prebiotics. And so the point being that you don't need to pick and choose and and only eat artichokes and asparagus all day. Eat plants, eat them in abundance, eat them in diversity. The more plant-based, the better. And your gut microbes will be singing and dancing and and doing a little jig. Are you a smoothie guy, Dr. Bolsowitz? I am a smoothie guy. How did you know that? It's it's just a wild guess. And uh, it leads to a question from Shelly at 134. She wants to know, is a smoothie less nutritious than eating cooked vegetables and even fruits? Okay. So all forms of food processing lead to changes in the nutrients, their accessibility, their bioavailability. All forms of food processing do that. We could eat exclusively raw, but there's actually advantages in many cases to cooking our food or to processing our food. And so when it comes to smoothies, is it different than eating it as a salad? Yes. If you go super heavy on the fruits in the smoothie and you have diabetes, you may see, if you check your your blood sugar level, you may see that by making it a smoothie that it's more likely to spike because you're breaking it down so much. But there's a lot of positive that's there. There's a lot that's really good about smoothies. We're not throwing the fiber out. The fiber still exists, granted processed, but it still exists. And we're actually enhancing the bioavailability of many of the nutrients. They've shown in studies, Chuck, that there are several nutrients that are harder for us to get access to. But when we make a smoothie, we're basically opening things up and we're making it so our body can get uh, the access that it desires. Let's take a question here about arthritis, an interesting one I hadn't thought about yet. Uh, This one is from Heike, wants to know, is there a link between gut health and osteoarthritis? 
Okay, good. This is a great question. Osteoarthritis is an inflammatory condition. People don't think of it that way, but they should. Osteoarthritis is not exclusively that you um, have bone on bone, and it is not just like literally a mechanical problem. It is an inflammatory issue. And when you eat an anti-inflammatory diet, not only is that diet inherently healthy and anti-inflammatory, you are enhancing the anti-inflammatory properties through your gut microbiome. Going back to the beginning of the show, Chuck, we talked about the benefits of five days of a whole food plant-based diet. And one of the benefits was higher levels of short-chain fatty acids. Short-chain fatty acids are anti-inflammatory. We get them because our gut microbes process the food for us. So the point from my perspective is that let's not disconnect osteoarthritis from our diet and our gut microbiome. They are clearly connected. They're clearly connected. And if we want to take advantage of the power that exists within our gut microbiome, we would consume the food that is anti-inflammatory and then allow our gut microbes to amplify that for us. And you will see improvement in your joints. And I'm just going to tell you, my dad had horrible knees. He was six foot seven. He had really bad knees. He needed knee replacements. And by simply changing his diet and adding more turmeric to his routine, and he was by no means a whole food plant-based diet eater, but by making improvements in his diet and adding turmeric, he had substantial improvements in his osteoarthritis. And it bought him years prior to needing knee replacement. Wow. Six foot seven, man. That's incredible. Big guy. Yeah, indeed. Uh, we have another person watching from India right now. Shraven uh, Raj checking in here at 137 says, hello, Dr. B from India. Thank you for your kind words and your fundraising. Uh, they want to know, we talked about coconut oil. So they're wondering whether whole coconut is actually healthy. Well, whole coconut contains fiber. Coconut oil does not. Um, so from my perspective, there are benefits. If we're going to compare those two head to head, I'll take the whole coconut over the coconut oil every day of the week. Um, so, but should we be consuming coconuts like routinely as a part of our diet? Should we be seeking out coconuts? And the answer from my perspective would be no. And it's not that I'm avoiding them, but I'm consuming them in moderation kind of like the same way that I was talking about things like extra virgin olive oil. I consume them in moderation. I enjoy them for what they are. I recognize that there are foods that are healthier. There are foods that are less healthy than they are, but I'm not trying to make this the backbone of my diet because the whole coconut still does contain high levels of saturated fat. All right, we'll grab two more here before we close up the doctor's mailbag. We're going to stick with uh, Shraven here. Uh, they're wondering what effect microwaved food has on the gut microbiome. So it goes back to what you were talking about. Whenever you process a food at all, it's going to have some sort of a difference. Do Have there been any studies specifically about the effects of microwaving and gut health? So I haven't seen any study, Chuck, to look specifically at micro microwaving. And of course, naturally, what you have to do there is you have to compare it to some other form of heat-based cooking. And so when they have looked at nutrients, the nutrient profile, going back years, when they looked at the nutrient profile of foods that were microwaved compared to foods that were not microwaved, they didn't see that there was a loss of nutrients or that there was the creation of carcinogens or something of that variety with microwaves. In fact, in many cases microwave ends up being a lot safer than some of the alternative choices like high heat cooking on the grill. 
And so I think the point from my perspective is that I don't have any data that says the microwaving is harmful from my perspective. And if you choose to not do it, then so be it. That's up to you. All right. And the final question is perhaps my favorite. I've been waiting to ask you this uh, because it's so good. What is the most exciting thing that you've learned recently about a plant-based diet? Oh, wow. <laughs> that is a good one. Right? Um, most exciting thing that I've learned recently about a plant-based diet. See, the thing is this, Chuck. This is, the, this is why it's hard for me is that if you go back to my medical training, I graduated medical school in 2006. If you went back to my medical training and you told me the things that I know now about the power of a plant-based diet, I would have told you you're crazy and you're lying. There's no way. There's no way that changing our diet can do so much. And yet nothing shocks me anymore. You know, I've been tracking this space for years now, Chuck. And nothing shocks me anymore. You know, it's like, it's almost like a study comes out every single day that says there is a health benefit to consuming a plant-based diet. And it's almost sad that it's become a broken record because we don't celebrate as much as we should. Because it's like, oh, there's another one. Another one says how great this diet is, right? And then the irony of all ironies is that when all of the momentum is on one side and it's like, good, 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 good. The minute there's something bad, it gets so much attention. And so it's like every single time there's a study that says that a plant-based diet is not necessarily the ideal diet for us, which by the way, most of the time those are sponsored studies by someone who's like actively trying to take down the plant-based diet. But every single time one of those studies comes out, it's like shocking to me how much press it gets and how much of a conversation it becomes. And it's like plant-based people have to defend their position. I'm like, why are we having to defend our position on this diet with when like literally every single day we're showing you studies that show that it's the optimal diet for human health? I don't get that. It's it is it's a whole thing. I mean, if you just take two seconds and you look through the chat during these live shows and, and you see the various comments um, back and forth, I mean it's it's really interesting. Um, to me, how dug in certain people are with their views. Um, but you know what? I, I think that that just underscores why it's so important to continue to talk about these studies, this nutritional message, because there are so many great health benefits that come with it. And at the end of the day, Dr. B, really all we're trying to do here is improve someone's health. That's what it comes down to, my man. So let's let's keep the conversation going, you know? hundred percent. And I, and I think at the end of the day, what we're really talking about too, is we're talking about dietary patterns. And I think it's important for us to emphasize the importance of the whole pattern, not one choice, because one choices like one little choice is not going to change the pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that, my man. Amen to that. All right. So here's the deal. Uh, if you want to get involved in Dr. B's fundraiser, head over to his Instagram once again at the gut health MD on IG. Uh, sir, again, you are to be commended for that. I think that that is absolutely fantastic and celebrate the uh, first birthday of fiber fueled head over to Amazon or wherever you pick up your books, pick up a copy of fiber fueled, a fantastic read. There it is. You see him holding it up right there and you can head over to his website, the plant fed and take the free plant-fed gut five-day challenge. Get the book, take the challenge, contribute to the fundraiser. It's just, you got so much good happening, my man. Every time you come here, it's just like, 
it's a world of good that is being done in this short amount of time, man. So my hat I appreciate is off it, man. You. Yeah, bro. I appreciate it. The uh, real quick, I just want to comment that actually the five day challenge has become the seven day challenge now. So if you've taken the five day challenge, you should sign up and do it again, actually, because I've added more content and I think it's even better. The seven day um, challenge. All right. Yeah, we're up to seven days now. It's kind of fun. All right, Dr. Will Bolsowitz, appreciate your time. We will talk to you again next month, my friend. And you can find a link to Dr. Bolsowitz's Instagram and website in the episode notes. And I will tell you that the exam room live is your best opportunity to ask experts like Dr. Bolsowitz your questions. All of the experts are so happy to help raise your health IQ. So here's what you need to do. Mark your calendars, set a reminder for every Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Join us over on the Physicians Committee's Facebook page and YouTube channel for the Exam Room Live. And Dr. B, he's kind enough to join us once a month, the second Wednesday of every month. And Dr. Neil Barnard, also a frequent guest on the program and so many others. And we would love to have you join us to ask your questions as well. You can also tweet them to me ahead of time at Chuck Carroll WLC. Just make sure that you use that hashtag exam room live. Time now to take a trip to the exam room news desk and find out what's new in the world of nutrition. There is new evidence today that mushrooms might just save your life. A new study published in Nutrition Journal finds that replacing red and processed meat with just one serving of mushrooms can lower your risk of dying from any cause. And the researchers say that the more mushrooms you eat, the bigger effect they can have. To reach their conclusion, the group of researchers analyzed the eating habits of more than 15,000 participants in the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, better known as NHANES. And these researchers say that their results remain statistically significant even after accounting for other diet and lifestyle factors such as fat intake and smoking status, alcohol consumption, race, BMI, physical activity, even marital status was accounted for in this study. And they theorized that the antioxidant properties found in mushrooms are a factor in this. Mushrooms, by the way, have previously been shown to reduce the risk of mild cognitive impairment as we grow older. And you can find a link to this mushroom study in the episode notes. And now we need your help. We are asking you to join us in helping to save lives and prevent so many of these chronic diseases that we talk about on the show. The experts on here say time and again how preventable many of these cases actually are. So let's go ahead and get this potentially life-saving and certainly life-changing information to the ears of those who need it the most. And the easiest way to do that right now is just by heading over to Spotify or Apple Podcast, wherever you get your favorite shows, and subscribing to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee. And when you hit that subscribe button, please also leave a five-star rating because every new subscription and five-star rating helps to promote this show a little bit more. It helps us climb a little bit higher in the rankings and the higher we climb, the easier it becomes to get this information to those who need it the most. So go ahead. 
push just a couple of buttons and help us save a life. And for today, that's going to do it. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Will Bolsowitz. Happy birthday, Fiber Fueled. Appreciate you being here, my friend. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, keep it plant-based. <laughs>